Hello and welcome to the Bite Size Weight Loss Podcast with Human Design. As always, I'm your host, John Donahue, and my aim with this podcast is to give you simple bite-sized tips, strategies, and practical insights to master the game of healthy weight loss without having to give up your life in the process. All right, so today we're going to talk about how food tracking affects weight loss. Um, I want to talk about this because I actually have a client at the minute and she's done quite well, but we've had a bit of a weight loss plateau. So we've done it with habits, behavior change, and just uh, some simple three to four main nutrition habits. But because we've had a plateau, uh, it doesn't matter how perfect I think the program is or the coaching, if it's not getting results, we have to change. So we're actually doing food tracking and calorie counting and our weight's coming down again. So we've kind of bumped past the plateau and now we're heading towards the right direction to get the results that she wants. But, you know, I am I am not a calorie counter at all. I never do it. I'm not a big fan of it, but I will always use it depending on the t- type of person who wants to do it. I will never rule it out, and I know it works. It absolutely works. People say it doesn't work, but I'm telling you, they, could, they couldn't be further from the truth. Calorie counting actually does work. It's not 100% accurate, but of course, it's always like it's never going to be 100% accurate, but it does get results because it brings the most important thing to people's attention, that is awareness and focus of what they're actually doing. Because let's be fair, a lot of people think they're not losing weight and they think they're eating really well. But honestly, in my honest, humble opinion, they're being delusional and it doesn't make them a bad person. They just have no idea what they're eating. So today we're going to talk about how food tracking affects weight loss. So food tracking can be a really, really valuable tool. So whether you're trying to manage your weight or you just want to eat better, it can help guide your portion sizes and your food choices. Um, and what's more, it can be really useful for gaining awareness of your current eating behaviors including where you're doing well and where you're struggling. And let's be fair, we have to look at where you're struggling because that's not that's what's holding you back from getting results. You know, you're only as strong as your weakest link. Um, but tracking can also be a burden and it can be really hard to stick to. And, you know, a group of researchers from the University of Connecticut, Florida and Pennsylvania found this out. So what they wanted answered, they did a review and a study and what they wondered was that When it comes specifically to weight loss, how consistent do you need to be for food tracking uh, to help with weight loss? So here's how the study worked. They basically recruited 153 participants for six months, which is a good length. The group was 70% female and highly educated with an average weight of about 90 kilos. So they had an average BMI of 31.8. So basically they were classified as obese. Now all... The participants were actually asked to follow the Weight Watchers personal points program using the Weight Watchers app. And then they were sent digital Bluetooth scales, which were synchronized with the app. They also received one uh, weekly coach-led virtual workshops, two weekly one-on-one virtual check-ins with a coach, and three access to a private social media group. So basically, they were providing a lot of support with this, which is where coaching can really help with this kind of stuff because people do struggle especially if they don't have a good support group. So this program guided participants through a weekly curriculum that provided them with specific behavior goals each week across four main pillars, and that was food, activity, sleep, and mindset. And this was this was done to drive healthy habits. So basically, they weren't just told to track their food. They received ongoing support that emphasized behavior change. And that is so important because tracking alone doesn't work. You need to get some kind of coaching and support to emphasize you know, building long-term habits. And after 24 weeks, the researchers calculated the number of days that each participant logged their meals to see if their tracking behaviors predicted 
how much weight they lost. They wanted to see, depending on how many days people tracked their food, if it worked out with more weight loss or less weight loss. So I did mention Weight Watchers' personal points here. So when you read the term food tracking, and you also see that people receive food scales, you might assume they were weighing and logging every morsel of food, but that actually wasn't the case in this study. They only tracked some foods, and instead of tracking calories, they tracked points. And you might be familiar with this with Slimming World and Weight Watchers. So here's a quote directly from the scientist's paper. Basically, they said all food and beverages are assigned a point value based on calories, saturated fat, unsaturated fat, added sugar, protein, and fiber. And users were also provided... A personalized list of zero point foods. I think these are called zero sin foods or something. And similar word, I'm not sure. And these are foods that represent the cornerstone of a healthy dietary pattern. So things like your vegetables, fruits, lean proteins, beans, peas, lentils, all that stuff. But they didn't have to be weighed, measured, or tracked. So zero point foods were foods that were high in diet quality. And by relieving the user of having to track them, and assign them a points value zero, the personal points plan, it kind of nudges people toward making higher quality uh, diet choices. And then the participants were given a daily and weekly points target and instructed to track any food or drink with points on a daily basis. So, I mean, the upshot of this is that it's not exactly traditional food tracking, but it's a bit easier. But as a result, it might not represent what happens when someone uses a more conventional tracking method you know, in which they log everything they eat. And that's what I'm doing with my client at the minute. I feel that that's better. And, you know, if participants only track certain foods, it kind of limits the insights that can be, you know, uh, gleaned in terms of their overall eating behaviors because, and, you know, this kind of feedback can help people become more aware of eating behaviors that support and don't support their goals. So I just wanted to um, help you keep those points in mind when you consider the results of the study. So what did the study find? Well, the researchers identified three very distinct tracking behaviors. So they had the low trackers, which is about 23% of all the participants. And these people logged their meals about 6% of the time or less than one day a week over 24 weeks. They initially logged their meals three days a week on average, but then they quickly lost interest and mostly stopped tracking halfway through the study. That's probably like most of us, to be honest. Then they had medium trackers, which was about... 59% of participants, on average, these people log their meals 37% of the time or about two and a half days a week. But those tracking days were heavily front-loaded, so basically their enthusiasm faded over the week and by the end of the week, uh, or by the end, sorry, of the study, they were barely tracking at all. And then we had high trackers, which was about 19% of participants. And these study participants logged their meals a little more than an average of six days a week or 88.7% of the time. Those people are legends. I don't know if I could do that for six months. So this brought brings us to the key question of the study. Did weight loss correlate with how often they logged their food intake? Now, not surprisingly, the most diligent trackers, which were the 19% of the participants, or 18%, sorry, lost the most weight. So basically, the average weight loss after six months of the low trackers was about 2.4%. Uh the medium trackers was about 4.8% of their body weight and the high trackers were 9.4%. So if you were 100 kilos when you started, if you were a low tracker, you lost 2.4 kilos. If you were a medium tracker, you lost 4.8 kilos. If you're a high tracker, you lost about 9.4 kilos, so nearly 10% of your body, which is unbelievable in six months. Very good, actually. Um, there was a few other findings. So there was a 10-year gap between the average age of the low and high trackers 
an average age of 37 for low trackers versus an average age of 47 for high trackers. So that's interesting because, you know, I thought people who were older would be busier, wouldn't have time for it, but that was interesting. Now, the authors didn't say why, but it could be changes in life circumstances or some perspectives that led to the shift. You know, maybe they wanted to achieve a desired result because they were getting older and, you know, uh, mortality was coming in this year. They wanted to be in shape as they got older. Uh, the study researchers also said participants who were single, separated, widowed, or divorced were more likely to be low food trackers. And those who were married or living with a partner were more likely to be high trackers. And the reason for this is they reckon having social support could have played a role in people's tracking consistency. And this is annoying. People ignore we weight loss, lack of social support. So I have a client in the past who really wanted to eat healthy, but their partners were like, no, nah, I'm just keeping the treats in the house. I want to have takeaway, blah, blah, blah. And it was really difficult to get results. They wanted to do things, but their partners weren't helping them or their housemates or whatever. And that can be a real stumbling point. So it was my job as a coach is to help come up with ideas to kind of solve that issue. And it also said the highest income participants were somewhat more likely to be high trackers. So, yeah. And it said, uh, so I don't know why that was. It didn't actually state that reason. But here's some takeaways, right? Number one, food tracking isn't easy for most people. And according to these results, only about 20% of participants were able to track consistency for the entire six months. And, you know, I know it's a small study. It was only 153 participants. But this is probably quite accurate towards the bigger population as well because most people do not like tracking so only a small percentage of people are able to track for extended periods of time and most people even though they start out enthusiastically and with lots of good intentions they kind of struggle to maintain this practice this is one of the reasons i don't like it but again i'm not bagging it here okay and remember these people weren't even asked to log everything in fact they had a list of over 300 foods they didn't have to track and you know, and it was skewed towards females who were highly educated, so it doesn't represent the whole population. But look, no study's perfect, all right? Number two, the second takeaway is high trackers weren't the only ones who achieved impressive weight loss. So while the averages high, heavily favored the high trackers, on an individual level, the results were all over the place. In fact, the person who lost the most weight, nearly 30% of their initial body weight, only tracked their food intake around 20% of the days. And then another person lost about 20% of their weight with almost no tracking at all. So, <laughs> again, studies should always be taken with a pinch of salt. But it's, the individual results show that you don't need tracking to be successful. It really depends on you as a person and your current situation. But these findings could also suggest that number three, the third takeaway, is that short-term tracking can have longer-term benefits. So even brief tracking and logging your food can help someone become more aware of what they're eating and this then will positively influence their eating decisions in the future and remember what you can't forget here is that all the participants receive one-to-one -one weekly coaching and group support and that might have helped make some positive behavior changes and better food choices you know separate to tracking so you can see why coaching is so so important here because it's all right telling somebody you know i could just tell my client all right you're going to eat 1500 calories now for the next few weeks and lose weight you know no, I'm in touch with them every other day. And we have a check-in call every week. And we say, all right, what went well? What didn't go well? How's your energy? How's your gym performance going? Oh, well, I'm really hungry on this day because I think I went too low with the calories on my breakfast. And then we go, all right, well, let's put a plan in place to combat that so you don't feel low in energy and, and you know, not ready to perform at the gym. So coaching really, really helps with this. Um, the fourth takeaway was that 
tracking isn't for everyone, even for those who do it consistently. And, you know, uh, food tracking can be a very effective tool for some people, but it can also backfire. And this is especially true when it comes to calories and macro counting. Um, and this is and this is harder than the personal points program because a lot of evidence suggests associations between calorie and macro tracking apps and three types of disordered eating, which is binge eating, which is the overwhelming urge to consume as much food as possible, as fast as possible. And then another type of eating called cognitive dietary restraint. And that means you feel like you're constantly making an effort to limit what you eat. That's not a good headspace to be in. And then number three, moralizing food. Basically, people label what you eat as good or bad, and then you attach your self-worth to your food choices. And I've seen all these scenarios over coaching in the past two decades. So, I mean, but again, this is why tracking, I'll ask clients, you know, I'll ask them about their history with diet and how many diets have they tried, and I'll listen for general statements that they make, you know, oh, you know, I really know I shouldn't eat this. This food's bad and this food's good. And I have to question, well, where? why do you think that's bad? Who's telling you it's bad? You know, is that a fact or is it just an opinion? So... You know, those at the highest risk are people who tend to be overly self-critical. They're prone to disordered eating or they have an eating disorder in the past. And for some people, tracking can take the joy out of eating. That's why I'm not a huge fan of doing it all the time. I think personally, when you start to lose weight or start trying to eat to lose weight, you can keep similar meals, like a similar breakfast, similar lunch, and maybe uh, spice up your dinner. But I would do it at the start so you can get a good awareness of how many calories are in your meals and what you're actually eating. Remember, it's just a starting point. It's it's to make you aware of what you're eating because a lot of people are frustrated and think, I can't lose weight, but they have absolutely zero idea of how many calories are in the two glasses of wine and the little bites of the pizza and the little biscuits at office break and the food they eat while they're making their kids' dinners. They have no idea how many calories are in a tablespoon of olive oil. So even though tracking's not, brilliant i think it's a hugely effective tool now as i say i try and get my clients to lose weight without tracking but i have used it i have one guy who's lost 30 kilos and he just loves calorie counting because that's kind of his go-to method and it makes him aware of what he's doing he knows he's overeating but he just needs to see it on the data and the numbers so like i said tracking might not be for you and it you know, I'll give you a good example. A person might be so worried about hitting their calories or their macros or knocking over their personal points that they struggle. They find pleasure in the social aspects of eating, like sharing a good meal with family and friends. You know, that's the last thing I want for my clients. My goal is to help clients lose weight on as many calories as possible, to enjoy their food as much as possible, to include as many of their treats as they can without going over their calorie budget. But you can do that without being obsessive about tracking. So, and that's why I usually recommend that people count calories and macros for only short periods of time. You could do it for like four weeks and then you'll get a fair idea of what your meals are like. And then you could go off it for a month. And then if, you know, if, if, if the weight creeps back up again, uh, maybe you could go back and do it again for a month. But, you know, it's probably best for people who need to achieve very specific body composition goals for their profession or for an athletic competition or for making weight. But that's it. The fifth takeaway from the study is that there's always exceptions, all right? A small percentage of people really, really enjoy the process of collecting calories and macronutrient data. I don't. I hate it. But I have some people who love spreadsheets, who love numbers, who want to see the data, okay? So they love that because then they can monitor changes in their weight, their body size, their health markers, such as their blood pressure and cholesterol. People have access to all sorts of apps these days, so they love all the tracking, and these people are actually emotionally detached from the numbers. In other words, they see them as information rather than assigning them good or bad values. And this is really, really important. 
you know, I have clients who can step on the scale every day and not let it bother them. And I have others who say, if I touch that scale, I'll, it'll ruin my day. So if you can emotionally detach yourself from numbers and realize you're not a bad person if you gain a bit of weight over a week. You're not a good person if you lose a bit of weight. You know, no foods are good or bad. It's just, do they help you in the context of your goals? So for some people, tracking can be empowering. For others, it can be an absolute nightmare. But I think for everyone, it's useful for a couple of weeks, especially if you're not losing weight. I don't care if you're on the most hormonally balanced uh, low carb, uh, intermittent fasted plan ever. If you're not getting results, your plan is not working and you need to figure out why. So you need to rejig the equation as Marion Nestle uh, uh, talks about. So that brings me back to the final point on the start of this uh, review. Food tracking can be a really valuable tool, but it all depends on your personality, your preferences, your needs, your mindset, and your lifestyle. So there you go. That was a bit of a long way to describe how food tracking affects weight loss, but it really, really did work. People who got the most weight loss were the most diligent trackers, but there was some outliers where people barely tracked and logged and lost 30% of their body, which is huge over six months. So there you go. There's another quick podcast. If you really, really, if you got some risk, please leave a rating. It'll take you two seconds. Just tap the five stars on the Apple review there. And if you want me to answer any other questions or you want to reach out for coaching, just uh, click on any of the social media uh, handles on the, the show notes. I would love to help you. Uh, as I say, coaching is about problem solving. It's good to have another set of eyes, look at your challenges and your frustrations and come up with a plan together. All right, thanks for taking the time to listen today. I'll be back soon with more podcasts. Have a great day.